Casa de Cambio. On this episode of Casa de Cambio, I am so thrilled and delighted to be joined once again by Lena Ross. Welcome, Lena. Hey, hi, thanks, Natasha. Thanks for having me and hello. Thanks for coming back onto the podcast. How's your week going so far? Um, the week is going well. Melbourne weather is um, is turning it on quite nicely, I think, this week. We're in summer, of course. Mm. So, yeah, and we've got a public holiday this week. Oh, yeah, I keep forgetting about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be, yeah, doing podcast Cambio things on that day. Um, I'll probably be working too, but it's a nice um, it's a nice bit of respite, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. And the weather's been great. It's been about 27, yeah. 28 every day. So it's like warm, but not too hot, which yeah. is, which has been lovely. Yeah. Lovely. Very nice. Um, and today we're going to talk about the agile mindset. But before we do that, there's a couple of questions I ask every guest that comes onto the podcast. Yeah. And the first one is, what are you currently reading, watching, or listening to? Spent, um, had a, because of, you know, we've just come out of summer holiday break here in the Southern Hemisphere. I did have a nice time to catch up with some books in my backlog and some things I wanted to watch. Mm-hmm. But I had um, a, a small obsession with the Tudor era, which I was able to explore a bit more during my break. I started watching um, Becoming Elizabeth late last year and then got into the four seasons of The Tudors, which then got oh. me back into reading, you know, historical novels like um, The Other Berlin Girl um, and The Berlin Inheritance. And um, then as I started, this was really fascinating because then when I went into the documentaries um, that they had, like more on SBS and things like that, they um, one of the documentaries featured a stakeholder map and I thought, oh. this this is the stakeholder radius. And it was it was the um the influences in the court, you know, King Henry oh. VIII. And I thought oh, I can see similarities with this, except the big difference, luckily for us these days, is um if you don't get on with your stakeholders so well or you need to manage them more closely, at least it's not gonna cost you your life, right? <laughs> so yeah. um, you won't be thrown a into more, a it, it gross a prison more, cell and beheaded. <laughs> to be a lot more careful with your stakeholder management and, and who you were seen talking to and not talking to um at that particular time but so that's that's been interesting um just to kind of escape a little bit as well but learn a little bit about history understanding that some of it is historical fiction too that I've been watching and reading but on a um on a more non-fiction um tangent I read a book called Brain Hacks which was a really easy little book to read it had 200 plus ways to boost your brain power. And I'm actually creating an infographic on the, my five favourite favorite ones um, to post over the next couple of weeks. But what I really liked about that, Natasha, was, you know, as because we're still in January and everyone's um, setting themselves New Year resolutions and stuff like that, a lot of those resolutions are, are, can be unrealistic or quite audacious, really big goals. Mm. And the good thing about this book, Brain Hacks, was you can do really small things that will make a big difference to your cognitive function or your brain power or whatever you want to call it. So I really liked that um, and thought it would be worth, um, I picked out some that I liked, like, you know, eating a few more nuts each day, for example, mm. and um, learning why you walk you know, boosts your brain power because it it meshes the physical with the cognitive function and that really powers up um, your learning capability or, or what, you know, your learning absorption. So, yeah, that was um, 
that was something that really resonated, especially at this time of the year. You know, we've come mm. out of a period of overwhelm and then we all want to set New Year resolutions, but we don't. I don't really know whether we have the cognitive capacity to take a lot of those on. Mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah, very good, very good. Um, now, I know you shared career advice when you came onto the podcast last time, but do you have any more career advice that you received that you thought was really helpful that you yeah, would like to share with the listeners? Yeah, I can't even remember what I said last time, so I hope I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was a few I think it was three nearly three years ago yeah it was yeah. in 2020 yeah oh gosh okay hasn't that gone um I think the I think some really good career advice I got was a long time ago and it was um one of my managers who said to me and, and I, I sometimes play this back to other people he said to me he who angers you conquers you so mm. that really helped me with uh emotional regulation and not responding I guess, to emails or comments or things like in the moment, you know, when you know you're, you're kind of probably in threat mode um, and you respond with emotion rather than with logic. So the best thing out of that was, and it, it was very hard because I like to get things done really quickly, but the, the key takeaway there was um, sleep on things. And if you don't, and my best response now is if I don't want to respond is let me, let me give that some more thought and I'll get back to you. It was yeah. really, really hard to do, but yeah. um, it's, it was quite empowering. I felt like I was like losing power by not responding straight away or losing yeah. control, not power, but more control of the situation. But what I learned over time was that it actually gives you, it empowers you and gives you back that control and it's really good for self-regulation. And that was, um, and I just loved that quote, what he said to me, like, he who angers you conquers you. It's so true. Yeah. 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 Yeah, because you're letting people, you know, another one is letting someone live rent-free inside your head. That's what oh, you're them Totally. Yeah. yeah, totally. So um, if someone's listened to my podcast from three years ago and that's the same same advice I shared, I apologise in advance. <laughs> really I'll go it. check. I'll go check. I should have re-listened to that in too. preparation to have you in channel. But we're talking about different topics. But I'm sure it wasn't. It's probably – and it. Maybe that wasn't something that was front of mind for you at that time, but I do agree. Like if I feel a no bubbling up, yeah. if I feel like, you know, someone's requesting something or, you know, their request annoys me in some way or or I think it's a terrible idea, I just go, you know what, yeah, I'm, I'm going to sleep on it, um, particularly if I'm having a bad day or I've got a lot going on. Um, and then I'll decide how I want to respond because I think there's some times where, yeah, you kind of, uh, maybe you're towards the end of your rope and it may not be anything to do with that situation, but you may just type out and be like, oh, and then you come back the next day and you're like, oh, geez, what I typed, that was terrible. I can't believe I was going to send that, you know, particularly, yeah, if you're having a negative response, just wait because you probably won't be mad about it the next day. Yeah, and look, I've had too many moments um, afterwards that, oh, I should have said that or I should have said, you know, why didn't I say that or... Yeah, the, 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 you know, gift of hindsight and time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you don't need to respond immediately to things. Yeah. Um, and you don't need to respond at all. That's you true. Know? Yeah. I've got one sitting in my inbox that, um, and I, I can say what it is. <laughs> like, so <laughs> then I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to respond to that one. Um, it was very cheeky. So there was a, a conference that I thought I might, have a go at seeing if I could become a speaker at that mm. conference. And 
uh, I had tried to contact the conference through their website and didn't get a response. And so I sent them an e- you know, a couple of emails to their email address and I finally got a response weeks later and it was something, actually, let me read it out. Let me find, oh no, I'll find it. And it was, I thought a little bit cheeky. Where is it? It said, uh, thank you for your interest in becoming a speaker for X event. We decide whom to contact almost two years in advance as we expect to make the final details and arrangements with them. However, there are some great networking opportunities. We invite you to take a deeper look as it can make sense for Casa de Cambio Consulting to be a sponsor and partner of the conference. We are able to discuss this opportunity with you. What is your availability? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, no, I don't want to sponsor your conference. Thanks. Yes, Yes, I know. (laughs) I'm like, I might just ignore you. I'll just yeah, not like, reply. Read the room, okay, I'll just buy know? a ticket. I'll just be a punter. Like yeah. that's fine. <laughs> then obviously I'm not. I don't know the right people, and I'm not part of the in crowd, so I can't be a speaker. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I read it and was like, oh, you can't be a speaker, but you could sponsor. That's a little bit yeah. cheeky, isn't You're it? Good enough to be a sponsor, though, right? <laughs> Anyone can be a sponsor. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I will go as a punter. So for the listeners, if you see me posting pictures on LinkedIn uh, sometime this year at certain conference, you can wonder which one it is, which yeah. one did that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was interesting. <laughs> it, also interesting because um, when I spoke at Agile Oz, they have an extremely democratic expressions of interest process because yeah. they're all yeah. about, you know, fresh content and making sure that the speakers are good and the content is interesting and so I I was interested to learn that it's a don't call us we'll call you situation um so that's that's probably a lighter one you know obviously I wasn't mad um but I did have a giggle at that at that and went oh don't respond now because you might come off looking like an arrogant you know, a-hole. We don't yeah. want that for Casa de Cambio Consulting. Or, or you respond in about a month and say, oh, I just came, I just um, came across this in my inbox. Yeah, I'll just buy a ticket and I'll sponsor you that way. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> still going to go, still going to go. Yeah. Um, but that is really good advice. Now, onto the topic of today. So today we're yeah. going to talk about agile mindsets. Um, now, before we get kind of, you know, down into the weeds of that, I want to just ask you, what is mindset? Just starting at the very yeah. beginning. Mindset, I mean, you know, at a very, I guess, at a very broad brush level um, would be, you know, a mindset is your set of filters and attitudes and beliefs. And they that's how we process information that guides how we operate and what we do. So it's shaped by influences around us that we believe to be true and that resonate with us and that um, make us feel comfortable with who we are and how we'd like to live, work and, you know, operate. So an agile mindset, I mean, interestingly, as, um, you know, going back probably around 10 years, you know, when agile started to become a thing, it was, it it occurred to me anyway that to operate or, or to think in an agile way was very important to doing agile as well as being agile. So um, I started to see agile, if you like, as a mindset and a skill set, um, as well as a set of rituals and, and ceremonies and so forth. But the agile mindset, one of my early definitions um, goes like this. It's um, it's a mindset that demonstrates the ability to recognise failures and challenges as opportunities Um, And they would be opportunities for learning and improvement, along with the resilience to evolve and adapt 
to meet changing requirements. So in a more simple way now, um, with the work with the Agile Change Leadership Institute and the um, Agile Mindset, you know, online course that we've got, we would say now it's a mind, we just say it's a mindset that we need for agile environments um, and environments where there's ongoing change and really deep uncertainty. So the the definition in itself will will evolve over time, depending on what you know we, we when the contextualize it with the challenges of the time. Yeah. So it has relevance with people as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how is yeah, yeah yeah? And how is this different to a growth mindset? Yeah, look, that's a really good um, question that we get asked a lot. It's um, the growth mindset, um, building on the great work of Carol Dweck, of course, is it, I would say it builds on the um, growth mindset. I mean, Carol Dweck describes the growth mindset in her book as one, you know, that is prepared to step outside of your comfort zone and one that's prepared to take risks and stretch yourself. And what we believe the agile mindset does is it builds on that by making a clear connection um, with agility and help people make sense of agility and what type of mindset you need to operate in that environment. Now, whether it's your, it's an environment, a work environment, and in most cases, we, you know, because our focus is on work environments, mm. but there's also benefits of thinking in an agile way for personal changes and personal situations as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, can people change their mindsets? Because you know how, the, and this this kind of follows on from growth because it's it's either fixed mind you have a fixed mindset or you have a growth mindset, and I often feel like you can have a fixed mindset, but you can change it. You can change anything, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. And there will be when I talk about, I'll probably talk about the five mindset shifts that we we cover in, mm. a, in a little while. And it's important to know that it's not a binary thing either. It's not like um, I've either got a fixed growth or mindset or a growth mindset. We think of it as a continuum and the five shifts are a continuum. So it's not like, it's a bit like, you know, the agile manifesto, like we value mm. the items on the left more, um, but we still value the items on the right. It's a bit like that. There are some, you know, aspects of your mindset which will be fixed and that's situational as well. And it's a little bit like, um, try and do things to shift you towards the growth mindset or towards having a more agile mindset because they will equip you quite well for the environments we're in now, which, um, again, you know, like agility, high uncertainty and things like that and, and help you build your resilience and so forth. But And you can shift your mindset. Even a fixed mindset can be shifted. But what happens with um, mindset shifts? And there's a lot of sceptics who say you can't shift your mindset. Um, at, a, at a neuro um, brain science level, we know you can because we know about neuroplasticity and things like that and building new neural pathways. But at a more, um, if, we, if we just take it away from um, that type of brain science and just talk about what happens um, when a mindset changes is things happen in life, things happen at work, um, some we don't like and some we really embrace. And sometimes when things happen to us, you know, there's organic shifts in our mindset. We start to see that different ways of thinking or doing things serve us quite well um, or serve us better than what the old things did. So gradually we start to move towards thinking that way or doing things that way. When we um, have a mindset in a particular space, we do also look for things that support our beliefs. 
and attitudes. So this is the cognitive mm -hmm. bias or, or mm. confirmation bias, you know, I believe this. So therefore, I'm going to look for all this data that supports what I say. And that's going to give me stability and confidence in, in what I'm thinking and doing. And then at some point, as things change or as things shift or um, I don't, over time, typically, or some things happen quite quickly, you will find that there's data to support different attitudes. Mm. And then you'll start to think and you'll see more and more about that. So you'll start to, over time, and as you try new things or do things differently or you see people around you doing things differently, you're guided through that mindset change. And sometimes you need to be guided through the mindset change with the help of a professional or a peer or a development program. And sometimes you do it organically. So that's why it's that continuum where today I might have a really... Um, my mindset might be all about, you know, I'm going to experiment. If I fail, that's not going to bother me. I'm okay with that. And then tomorrow I might be doing something. Um, let's assume I'm a surgeon and I've got to perform surgery. No, I don't really want to fail today. Today is a day it's important that I will aim to be perfect. And that's and that's a good thing because in certain you need to ring fence areas where you sometimes you can't do things or, or you want to take less risk. Mm. Mm. So in the work that you've done with Dr. Jen Fram, mm -hmm. and this is around the agile mindset, is, yeah. is it a micro-credential? Is that what you're calling it? Yes. Yep. Yes. yep. Um, you've identified five shifts that are required to build your agile mindset. Can you tell us what they are and how did you and Jen come up with the five yeah, shifts? Yeah, sure. Let me, let me talk through the five shifts first. Yeah. Um, if you see any of our work or any of our blog posts, you'll see that they're um, like a line. So I spoke about the continuum, so it's not binary. Um, so the five shifts would be going from engagement to empathy. And when we say that, we, we don't mean oh, just um, stop engaging with people and just go all empathy. We mean engaging with deeper empathy because mm. a lot of engagement is um, tick the box engagement. I've run a town hall. I've had Any questions? Own. No? Okay, I'll move on. Yeah, Great. yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, I'll take questions on notice. Oh, and um, they're the only ones I'll answer, but I haven't really engaged with empathy. We've all seen that. But, you know, but I engaged with people. I did what was on the change plan. <laughs> yeah. So, mm -hmm. um we say um, engage with empathy, um, so it's deeper engagement. The second one is letting go of an expert mindset and um, thinking more like a beginner. Mm -hmm. So there's times, you know, our expert mindset has, has without a doubt served us well for a long time. It's got us to where we are. But to grow and, and to think in an agile way, it's also that embracing things differently. So one of the things we talk about there is if you get a reverse mentor, it might help you see things from a different perspective because it is really hard to park judgment. I mean, you really, I think you have to be very mindful of that. Oh, I better not judge. I, I know sometimes I have to check myself and go, don't say anything, Lena, just wait and see what they've got to say and park your judgment and um, and, and listen to that other view or listen to that new new thing or whatever I think this so, is the one that I personally struggle with the most okay okay that's hard yeah I think I, yeah I and I think I verbalized that because you guys had a, a zoom it was a, it been a while mm. ago now a few months ago when you launched this course and I think as change agents we or well I don't think I'm alone I'll just speak for myself I won't speak for everyone but I feel like I've always got to have the answer and you know, yeah. be the expert in change and, you know, as you get more and more senior, 
I find it hard to just not present as the expert and, you know, be, but also that's so often what's been expected of me in a lot of environments. People want you to say, this is the answer and this is what we should do. And, um, and I'm, I'm, I love a good co-design. Like I'm not, you know, there, I'm not a monster, but I definitely, um, you know, I'm all about co-designing and, and certain things, but yeah, I do find it hard, especially that example you just gave where people are talking and I'm already sitting there going, oh yeah, it sounds like this. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, I can see exactly how this is going to go. And that's all going on within my head, but it's really hard to shut that down. Very difficult. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, it, it's a tough one, you know, because we've been rewarded for it. We've mm. been, um, defined by it we like you said we are recruited for it that's why people get us on board particularly for consultants mm-hmm. um when you think about it this is the one that a lot of senior execs also struggle with you know they're expected yeah. to know everything um mm. so it's about having strategies to to open up and it, it comes with that vulnerability doesn't it and that safety to be able to say look i don't know everything in this space i might just need some help with this so it's um and we and this of course we cover like in the course each little micro module is on one of these as well as a few other things like how do you change your mindset so the questions you're asking are really good um so that's the second one sorry i interrupted you (laughs) no 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 no, not at all not at all um i'm not just going to rattle them off without a little bit of a you know a narrative (laughs) so feel free to jump in okay that's what helps people make sense of it too and unpack it a little bit and think about their own experience with each of the shifts um the third one which is one i think it's one of the ones that People struggle with all of these um, at, in, at varying degrees, but the one about letting go of perfection and focusing on getting things done. Mm. Again, this is a little bit like the expert. It's like, oh, but I've been rewarded by this in the past and this is what I'm good at. And you hear so many people say, oh, you know, I'm a recovering perfectionist. or yeah. um, And it, it is very counter to agile if you want to open up, if you want to share, you want to work out loud, you want to especially the whole thing about iterating and not getting things right the first time is important in Agile and then using the retrospective to find out what didn't go right. And this is another one that is really predicated on having a safe environment to experiment. So with this one, um, as well as potentially the expert one, I know I've always often used, um, I've often framed things like, I just want to try something out. I haven't done this before. I haven't done this a lot. or I haven't done it in this environment. So I'd like to experiment and see how we go and, um, you know, get your feedback. So you kind of set a little bit of a safety net for yourself. You're managing your stakeholder expectations um, and give yourself, you you can forgive yourself a little bit if it's not the perfect outcome you wanted. Yeah, that one's another tough one because Mm. I feel like I'm personally comfortable with MVPs. I'm comfortable with, although I remember I was like 70% and I think I did one of your courses and you, you and Jen were like, oh yeah, 50%. I was like, whoa, 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 50% isn't done. Whoa, I'm being challenged by that. But I feel like, again, change, I've been in environments where people demand perfection, yet they're saying we work in an agile fashion. And then you've got some conflicting instructions and some conflicting priorities there. And it can be hard 
to, especially, you know, because we know that command and control leadership is still has such a strong yeah. hold in the upper echelons of Australian companies. Yeah. Yeah. And it and it tends to tie in with that command and control style of leadership, which as we know, doesn't go with agile. But yeah. there's a lot of command and control leaders out there who are trying to say, oh, we've got to do agile, you know, and then I don't I don't know that they have to change to blah, blah, blah. It's a whole other topic. Yes. But yeah, yeah. You're, you're thinking, oh yeah, I've got the agile mindset. Yeah. You want to do agile. Let's do MVP for change. Let's do, you know, sprints. And then you do it and you can, you know, almost get your ass handed to you because they're like, oh, I wanted this perfect change plan. And then sometimes, you know, and it does sometimes mean you're not the right fit and you're not what they wanted. Um, and I, I feel like a lot of change agents come up against that, not because of their own mindset, but because of the mindsets of others. Do you yeah. have any advice? <laughs> yeah, this is why we, we, when we work with organisations, we work with them that we want to work with the senior leaders as well, because if yeah. they're not modelling the mindset or understand the mindset that's required to underpin building um, organisational agility, then they're going to get in the way of agility and, mm-hmm. you know, we, we're probably digressing a little bit here, but we know that a lot of organisations struggle with what agile really looks like and they're in, mm. in a hybrid state or there's pockets of the organisation that are doing it well and pockets that don't. And we and we know pretty much what the enablers are um, mm. and the blockers. But And one of the big blockers is if the leader um, doesn't really understand what the behaviours and mindset are. It's not just about mm. getting the agile coach to come in and and do the practices and do the ceremonies and things and then they tick, you know, yeah. tick the up tick the agile box we're doing agile yay no it's um you really need to think about what thinking is required to do it and support it and model it and then um uh, getting the right people on board when you recruit new people too who who are happy to think differently mm. or mm. open to thinking differently so. The, the perfection is one that we say do this incrementally, do small things that, you know, you can take risks in and then as those small things start to work for you and you get the dopamine hit from not being perfect as opposed to being perfect, perfection's not real anyway. It's a it, it's a, um, a subjective um, you yeah. know, notion anyway. What I think is perfect isn't going to be what's perfect. Yeah. We, yeah. we use things like that to kind of help people get around it, yeah. Okay, good. And we say we say don't um you, you can be accurate, but it doesn't have to be perfect. You know, like if I'm if I'm an accountant, I can be accurate, but my spreadsheet might not look perfect. But mm. mm. so we, we also draw that um the um the, the difference between p- perfection and accuracy because some people get caught up in that and think, no, I can't, I can't do that. It's my job. If I mess up, you know, it's gonna have this impact and that impact. Are you talking about accuracy? Because that, that could be a little bit different too. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah and if you're a change manager and your slides are accurate but they're not perfect then just go see Sharon Connolly exactly you know, right she'll there's, sort um, you out there's a lot of yeah there's a lot of tools out there that can help you with <laughs> <Yeah>. that <laughs> so you don't have to spend your time on that um okay was that three that was the third one that was yeah, the third thanks. one what's the fourth yeah, one thanks for, <laughs> thanks for thanks for getting me back on track okay um the fourth one is um avoid failure avoidance and moving towards um, a mindset that actually looks for failure and this is mm. this is a good one borrowed from the practice of design thinking where you know they the notion of failing fast if you're not failing you're not trying hard enough because you really need to find those failure points in your product or service so they um they will be right for the user and they'll be human centric this is a bit like perfection this is so yeah. hard all through our schooling if you 
didn't do well, you failed and fail was not good and you didn't want to bring home a report card that had an F on it and mm-hmm. counter to our social conditioning of years and years. So this is a tough one as well. So, um, again, we say we need to say to people in organisations, where can you fail? Because they say, we can't fail, we can't do this. We go, well, where can you fail? Ring fence, again, the areas um, that you think it might be safe to fail an experiment because this is what's going to give people confidence to, to not just do it but to talk mm. about it openly in a retrospective. You know, there's a lot mm. of cultures, um, organisational cultures, it's still, you know, you wouldn't feel safe to do that. So, look, I, it was me, I messed up, but this is what we learned and this is what we need to do differently next time. Um and there's yeah. some good um, examples of organisations that reward um, the biggest stuff up, if you like. So it's called out and it becomes a lesson for the whole organisation. Do you have one of those examples at the top of mind? Because I've personally never experienced that. And I've, it's another one that I, I love the concept, but I consistently find myself in environments where, you know, you can't fail and and also, you know, this includes celebrating killing off bad ideas, not throwing them into the market, seeing what happens. Yes. Um, yeah. So can you, do you have? Yeah, like in, um, in one of our courses where we, like it, the Certificate of Agile Change Leadership has got Fail Fast, um, Learn Fast as one of the modules in the Agile, one of the lessons, if you like, in the Agile module. So, and we... And, and just so people know that you can make this real, we did work with an organisation that that applied this same concept and they did it as a monthly award. So Etsy is an organisation that has their three-sleeve um, sweater award, I think it's called. There's information online about it. Mm-hmm. If you Google Etsy and their three-sleeve um, jumper, or they call them sweaters over there, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> anyway, mm-hmm. um the three that, that award they actually win a sweater that's got three sleeves knitted into it right so they win like this imperfect thing as an award and people clamor now to get this award because it's such a prize thing but it started when there was a coder or someone working in software development that made a mistake that brought the whole site down and etsy for those of you who are not familiar with etsy is an on-site re- on, uh, online retailer mm-hmm mm-hmm and they, um, and this this was a while back. I think this occurred back in two thousand and fifteen. So it's it's not a new story. Um, and they, the coder felt terrible, and they said, "It's it's really now we've got to focus on what we learned from this. We don't want the site to go down again. So mm. we need to talk about what happened. We need to um, admit to it so we can get onto it straight away." And this was, um, you know, this really defines their culture now. And like I said, you know, everyone wants to win the Etsy award. They they put in nominations for it. And, yeah. um, and when we worked with a team, actually, um, a group from the States, it was their HR team. They wanted to go agile. And we talked about, you need to have like, a, you know, what are my major stuff ups? And start slowly, start talking about them in meetings, like through retrospectives. And then then gradually introduce it as the month, the stuff up of the month or the, you know, the mistake of the month or the failure of the month was this. And we say to people, if failure is an F word that they want to avoid, you can use different words around this. You know, it can be things that didn't go so well if you really mm. want to, like, you know, couch it in a way that people are more comfortable with. Yeah. So um, 
they were able to introduce that. And then they it became a thing where, you know, regular retrospectives talk about what didn't go well, what do we need to do differently? People starting to own up to them and talking about them openly. So it created quite a shift. Great. Thank you for mm. sharing that. Red retros are a good tool for it because you you yeah. you, you um, introduce that in a safe environment. I think first you set you set it up. It's a nice forum to do it. Yeah, and there's so many different ways you can do a retro. You know, so you Absolutely. can tailor it. Yes. you can take yes. you can do the simple what went well, what didn't go so well, yeah. what should we do next, or like there's one I've been using uh, with a client. I just rolled off of the acronym is FLAP, but now I think it's what are we, future learnings, uh, what puzzles us. But yeah, if you go on to, I use a tool called Team Retro and I use it yeah. for, um, I use it for all sorts of things because you can do team health checks on it. But if you go on to there, there's like so many different and they have the Spotify ones and the ones that, you know, big companies use and you can tailor it to like, maybe if there's some um, sensitive feelings in a particular area, like, you know, you don't feel like we can directly talk, like there's so many different ways you can do it. Yeah. And I think the retro is probably, yeah, one of the cornerstones of agile practices, really. Yeah. I'm you glad you said that. Me. I wanted to ask you what your favourite retro was. <laughs> oh, yeah. I have to, now I have to, you know what, I'm going to look up that acronym because it's bothering me because the flap one was good. And, you know, it's because I changed the retro because I think I was doing the, you know, we started off with a what went well, what didn't go so well. I like what puzzles us. That's one yeah. of my... Because yeah, like there's that. a lot of why did we do that? I never understood. Where it's a safe we? way to to isn't it? It's a safe question to ask. It's future. Okay, so flat future considerations, lessons learned, accomplishments, and problem areas. Nice. So you don't have to say this didn't go well. Um, you can say this was a problem, and you know, or what what were the let like the lessons and problems? Yeah. So I changed to flap after getting some feedback from my client saying, Oh, I want to talk about this. And I was like, okay, let me see what retro fits this. And I went, okay, yeah. I've completely redone it. It's a new retro. Um, so that one's a good one. And but yeah, you can there's so many. Yeah, I would say it's that or it's just the basic what went well, what didn't go so well, what shall we do next time? Yeah. Like they're probably the two that I use the most. What are yours? And, and I mean, we could make some up. I mean, you know, there's no reason why if there's if there's a particular um, thing that's unique to that organisational culture that they're having trouble talking about, you could also you could make up a column or something on the quadrant or whatever tool you're using to, to you bring out that conversation in a safe way. And when you do it with a tool, um, it, it makes it, it's a lot more comfortable. It's not you really doing it. <laughs> yeah. And you can do it like anonymously, like Team Retro allows for anonymous. So you don't have mm. to be like, who said yeah. that? Yeah. Um, totally. that's, yeah. Yeah. Or even if you're doing it in person, like unless you're watching people like a hawk, you're not really going to know who's put which card up on the board. Um, and then it becomes, that takes a layer of kind of, you know, making it personal out of it as well. Totally. Yeah. Um, what totally. was your favourite retro? Um, we like the four L's. Oh, yes. Like, yes. love, learnt and longed for. Longed for. Yeah, is that's a, nice a good one. one. Yeah. Because it's like what was missing, you know. Mm. Um, and I like that because it opens up, um, it makes it safe to talk about maybe emotions yeah. or what people are feeling. Yeah. 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 So I think if, yeah, that's a piece of advice for the listeners. If you're doing a retro, go and look at like all the popular yeah. retros because there's probably, I don't know, well over 30 kind of very established ones and just pick the one that you think is going to best suit what you're trying to do. 
yeah. or the situation because you don't yeah. have to go with this straight up what went well what didn't you know? and, and don't be frightened to experiment and maybe don't be frightened to mix the couple up together to get what you what you think what you think that situation yeah. needs at that time well, yeah and it's yeah. the same as anything if it doesn't already yeah. exist make it you know, yeah. like I make up my own agile campuses all the yeah. time. Yeah. I Google them first. I'm like, oh, there doesn't seem to be one. I'm like, yeah, change same. resistance <laughs> canvas, yeah. change T-shirt sizing canvas. Yeah. yeah, I should eventually start putting these up for sale on my website. <laughs> yeah, or um, or get them onto Miro so yeah. everyone can share them and see them. Yeah, yeah. that's a good idea. Um, so do we have one more mindset mindset shift? Yes, we do. <laughs> we do. Thank you, thank you, Natasha, for keeping us on track with the five mindset shifts. The fourth one, which is quite important and I think underpins all of them, and interestingly is the one that people struggle with the most as um, as shown by uh, the Agile Mindset quiz that we have online, which is a free self-assessment tool. I can send you the link to that if you need anything. Great. I'll put it in the show notes, yep. Yep, um, is self-judgment to self-compassion, you know, how judgy we are of ourselves and we impose a lot of these things on ourselves. And when you think about it, things like perfection is something we mm. impose on ourselves or the need to be the expert all the time. And if we're yep. not, we go, oh, how could we not know that? Oh, how stupid I felt, you know. So the thing that, you know, blame and shame, you know, that with yourself to self-compassion and being kind to yourself. Mm. So um, the, the key thing there is, is, you know, asking yourself the question is, would you be, you know, that inner voice in our head that kind of is really harsh on us. Yeah. Um, we we say to people, would you um, speak like that to a friend or a loved one the same way you speak to yourself? And probably not no. very hard on ourselves. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good one. Um, so many people struggle with that one. So um, so on that, you know, if you wanted to do a quick self-assessment, which is a free self-assessment tool, we have that um, Agile Mindset Quiz, keeping in mind, of course, that any self-assessment tool could come with a little bit of personal bias. We could mm -hmm. overrate ourselves, underrate mm -hmm. ourselves, a bit of mm -hmm. the Dunning-Kruger effect may um, play out. <laughs> but, but nonetheless, like it's an interesting one with some thought-provoking questions. Yeah. No, I'll make sure that's in the, uh, in the show notes. Thank you, yeah. Lena. And then I think, we kind of touched on this and I've talked about my personal challenges, but which do people find the most challenging? Like I guess yeah. both change agents and also out there in clients and companies and, mm. and leaders. Well, what we, you know, cause we've got data through the agile mindset quiz now. Um, it confirms what's happened through observation. And when we run these sessions, with leaders we also we get them to self-assess just um themselves and then we ask them at the end what did you find most challenging and they it all we're not getting conflicting data it all seems to be quite consistent mm -hmm. so the one that is the most challenging for a lot of people is and practitioners and leaders alike is the self-compassion mm -hmm. mm -hmm. that's the most challenging um the least challenging seems to be the beginner mindset which is interesting because you that's the expert to beginner where it's just interesting because you called that out as a challenging one yeah. but the data shows that's probably one of the least challenging ones <laughs> i'm so unique you are unique so you know what so just just bask in the glow of being unique <laughs> um the second one that's challenging is done is better than perfect yeah um you know, and look, we, we understand a lot of these interplay with each other. They're not like mutually exclusive. Um, empathy over engagement, interestingly, is the third most challenging. And then failure. Failure and empathy are pretty much on a par. When I do the sessions in um, with people face-to-face -face or, or virtually, like in real time, 
failure would come out, for me personally, failure comes out over empathy and engagement is a challenging one. Right. Mm. Yeah. But they're, they're close. They're close on, mm-hmm. the, uh, on the track, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So how might you look to recruit someone with an agile mindset? What sort yeah. of questions would you ask them if you wanted yeah. to bring people into your organisation who had agile mindsets? Mm-hmm. I have some questions here that I ask, and I think recruiting is really important because I think I mentioned earlier how important it is for leaders to model or, or people to model the mindset and the behaviours that support that mindset. But um, if you don't get the right people on the bus as you recruit them, you know, you, you could slow things down. Now, there seems to be a focus, um, there's a strong focus on recruiting for culture fit. And I think what what might be missing sometimes in recruitment is recruiting for the, the culture fit of the future rather than the mm. culture fit of the now. Mm. The other thing that's challenging for recruiting is it's a candidate's market. So yeah. sometimes recruiters just get excited if they get a candidate or, yeah. or more than one candidate to fill the role, right, rather than, you know, I, I can pick and choose here and be really picky. It's the candidate at the moment who can be picky. But, look, things change and it doesn't mean that you can't ask questions to get an idea of where people are at. Um, the other thing is recruiters will often look for skill first and then mindset like second, if at all. And that's mm-hmm. that will skill, you know, matrix that um, that I really like is, you know, you've got to get the balance of skill and will. And will is like, you know, the propensity to thinking differently and, and being willing to do things differently. So um, some questions to ask, which are real giveaways, I think. Uh, what are you doing differently to what you were, say, doing a couple of years ago? Mm. If um, there's been a shift in and asking why. Yeah. I mean, there'll be some interesting responses coming out now given, you know, with the pandemic and working from home and things that, you know, there'll be some interesting ways that people, like, frame that and talk about that. Yeah, because the answer talk- that immediately came into my mind was more of a personal shift than something in change management. So I, and I'll, I'll tell you what it is because I've spoken about it on a couple of weeks ago episode. Yeah. So I, I'm not a New Year's resolution person, but it is something I'm trying to do is... I want to stop drinking alcohol when I'm at home by myself because I got into the habit of doing that during all the lockdowns because, as you know, you'd get to the end of the day and be like, oh, well, can't go anywhere, can't do anything. I'll have a glass of red and I'll have a nice piece of cheese. I'm here with you on that. (laughs) Yeah, that's what we were all doing, but it's a habit that's stuck and I've kept on doing it and it's not healthy to do that, to drink, you know, alcohol like every single day. So I felt like if I can stop doing it when I'm at home by myself, if I have people around, that's fine. If I'm out and about doing social things, that's also fine. But it would reduce my alcohol consumption and hopefully, you know, therefore reduce my risks of getting some cancers and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. So I am having to make a mindset shift to make that happen because you can't just break a habit that you've had for nearly three years and just stop. Otherwise I would have done it already. So I'm reading lots of books. Um, I'm reading, you know, and I'm actually trying to associate what habits go with that. And one of them is watching TV and that's another bad. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to just read books. I'm not going near the lounge because it's, I'll have, I'll get, have, have my dinner. And then, you know, after dinner, I'll go and sit on the couch. And and that's when I think, oh, a glass of red would be nice. Mm. So I'm trying to stop that associated activity Mm. and almost like, yeah, 
And and you're looking, you're looking. It sounds like you're looking for data to support that shift, which is what we talked about. You know, with yeah. the mindset shift. Yeah. You're looking for data to support a different way of doing things. So that's that's good. And, and I think in that question, Natasha, what are you doing differently? Um, the recruiter could also. So if the if the recruiter isn't getting maybe what they want, say for a work situation, then you can always mm. dig a little deeper and say, what about work? Um, yeah. or <laughs> maybe or, I shouldn't say in an interview. No, 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 because being mindful of a mindset shift is important, and that's what you're doing. You're being mindful that it's a mindset shift, so that's critical. It's like, yeah. like you're labeling it, and you, you've been aware of it. So, no, not at all. It's, it's really relevant. Um, and this is you know, people going into interviews um, need to think about that before they like. It's, it's always good to prepare for an interview, as we all know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I think it, people often prepare the technical stuff. Yeah. And when you start asking them about their mindset and their attitude, they go, mm. like I heard some, you know, heard some feedback on, like it was somebody that I had interviewed for a while and then I put them to the second interview, which was with the project director and uh, I think, you know, a project manager. And they asked that person, what gets you out of bed in the morning? Yeah. They struggled, they struggled to answer it. Yeah, that's a good question, isn't it? You're right. Yeah. Um, people, and I think we used to get asked those questions more like a few years ago. Mm. And then for some reason, there's been a trend towards a lot more technical um, questions. And I think that's because the market is, um, you know, more gig workers and stuff like mm. that. And it's about getting that filling, filling a gap quickly and for shorter yep. term pieces of work. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, but another one that I ask is how do you stay ahead of the curve to be best, to stay up to date with best practice and emerging practice in your field? Oh, that that's great. You, yeah, yeah. That gives you an insight into um, are, are they just complacent um, or yeah. are they really going out of their way to learn beyond what an organisation yeah. Did they do one certification 10 years ago and they just keep rolling out that same tool and methodology and, you know, thinking yeah. they can apply it to every yeah. single role? And, you yeah. know, it doesn't have to be formal paid learning. It can be, you know, like oh. I listen to TED Talks. I do, like, there's so podcasts. much. Podcasts, yep. Yeah, yeah. Following certain creators. Podcast, you, know? <laughs> um, you know, stuff like, I mean, I'd be impressed if someone turned up to my interview and said I, I listen to Natasha's podcasts. I know that they're, like, open to, you know, a lot of new ideas and really casting the net wide to get an idea of what change is about. So, yeah, totally. Mm. Mm. But I'm, you know, I like that question because I'm always wanting to be the best, most modern change practitioner yeah. that I can be. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I have a, everybody knows I've got um, boards, like I've got my office is just sticky note. It looks like a crazy person lives here. Um, but I've got a professional development section and every year I go, what's my professional development going to be? what do I think I'm going to do? And this year I've probably got maybe four or five things that I'm looking at um, at, and just, you know, and I'll try and do one, at least one kind of major learning piece a year. And then there's other things like the books and the podcasts and I follow people. Like you can just follow someone like somebody who writes a blog. There's people who write blogs. There's people who do podcasts and you're right. You can hear all these ideas and you can learn and it doesn't, or you could go to, you know, an ad hoc workshop that someone's running. Like I'm thinking about Kathy who came up, she did her prehab for change workshop and she's yeah. doing another one in April. Yeah. And yeah, it doesn't mean formal certifications that cost several thousands of dollars yeah, and take right. a week. Like you could, you know, although they can be useful in the right time, 
But yeah, I think if you can show that this is how I'm developing my practice and this is how where I'm getting ideas and you know, um, yeah. it doesn't always mean like there's so much free content out there. But I do think I, yeah. I would hate for somebody to think, oh God, she's so 90s. Um, she's using these crusty old templates and, you know, she's talking about stuff that's just so over, like I'd be mortified if people thought that. And it, and it means that I'm always looking at what should I do? And yeah, if somebody says, oh, you know, I haven't done anything and it's like, well, how do you, how do you learn? Who are you learning from? You know, that's right. it's a good one. It's and, a really good um, one. And if they're not, if they're stuck on that, they're just not curious enough. You know, like, I mean, I have a story from when I worked, um, years ago, you know, one of the big banks and I published or I released some stuff about, um, I was running internal workshops at that time on the SCARF model and the neuroscience of change and stuff like that. And um, someone emailed me and said, oh, I never heard of the SCARF model. What is it? And I'm thinking, are you serious? You cannot get on Google yourself and, and check it out. Like I've got to find the link, you know, that you are not curious enough. Sorry. Yeah. It really, I thought, how could people just not be curious? But anyway, my DMs are full of people. <laughs> my DMs are full of people who ask. Well, they're not not full. I'd say maybe forty yeah. percent of my LinkedIn DMs are things that could just be googled. Yeah, I don't know why people feel like they have to ask a person something they could Google. That's an ongoing, and you know, again, it comes back to that. I don't want to be rude to say, oh, this lady who seemed so nice on her podcast was just so rude to me when I sent her an unsolicited message on LinkedIn asking her to provide all of her IP to me for free. But there is, I have done it once. I have said, oh, have you tried Googling this? No. It's like, maybe you should do that before. It's yeah. like, and it's people I don't even know. I don't know I these know. people. They're strangers. I know. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Get me started. On well, that. you can uncover them in an interview too. <laughs> yeah. And the, and the other one that I ask is, um, and this is one about bounce back resilience um, and a bit about that agile mindset is tell me about a time something hasn't gone well for you. So this is where you would mm. uncover the perfectionist or the person who's probably not really adaptive, like, you know, and then asking how they bounced back from it is also mm. important because, you know, everyone's going to have things that don't go well for them. That's not so much the the thing you're trying to uncover here. It's like what they did about it. Um, and then the red flags that I hear in interviews are things like, and I, I'm hearing this less, but, you know, we've heard these platitudes before, you know, it's important to get it right the first time or failure isn't an option for me or mm. fail to plan and then you plan to fail or the, the, one, the other one is um, I don't focus on problems. I go straight to focusing on solutions. You know how we've all, we've all had the manager who has said, don't come to me with problems, yeah. come to me with a solution. But this is such an antithesis to, say, um, the principles of design thinking and human-centred design where you have to really unpack the problem first um, before, you know, jumping into solutions. Which mm. so, And then the other one is this is a really interesting one because I don't know if people ask these questions anymore, but. Sometimes we would ask strengths and weaknesses questions way back. Um, yeah. But if you hear someone say, I'm a perfectionist and take pride in my work and they position that as a strength, is this is where you, a good follow-up question would be, well, tell me about a time when something hasn't gone so well for you. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so mixing and matching the questions up a bit um, or listening for the red flags. Sometimes um, 
I've heard people say, you know, when you ask people to talk about their weaknesses, some have talked about their perfectionism, if you like, as a weakness and how they've, they've got to overcome it. That, that's probably a good thing because it means that they're aware that that could be something that could be helpful. Those questions are hard because you've got to find something that's like a weakness, but it's also not going to make you unemployable. Oh, no. <laughs> and, chocolate, and saying chocolate isn't good enough anymore, right? I used to yeah, you can't chocolate. say, oh, I get, I yell at everyone when I get angry well, <laughs> or not. I think my one, my answer to that question is, you know, sometimes I just take on too much work because I think I can do yeah. it all and then I can, you know, get a bit out. Well, and that's not a true one anymore though. I'd have to think about how I answered that. What about um, something like, you know, I mean, because this is a weakness of mine and, and you mentioned it is, um, you know, learning when to park my expert mindset and, um, yeah. Yeah. you know, knowing well, when to bring said, it I in it and knowing it when to let go of it. You know, sometimes I just really have to think hard about that. Yeah, that's a good one. Thank you, Lena. Yeah. Thank you for identifying the weakness that I brought up earlier in the no, podcast. Well, I, did, I didn't mean to frame it like that. No, no, no. It, um, it, that, that helps protect you too. So if you get the job, you can say, well, you know, I said I didn't have to be the expert all the time. Yeah, I said that was something I'm working on. Um, <laughs> no, that's great. So where can people learn more about your Agile Mindset course? So um. We've got, um, if you jump on our website, which is aclinstitute.com. And um, I'll make sure that's in I, the show notes. Yeah. I, and I'll, I'll also in the show notes for you, Natasha, I could get you the link that goes straight to the Agile Mindset course, right. which is on, um, which we host on Teachable, but there's obviously links on our website to that. And um, for people who are curious to do a self-assessment or might want to do a self-assessment first, I can get that link to you, to the um, the quiz. Excellent. Excellent. So you can go to the Agile Change Institute's website. You can also buy one of Lena's multiple books. What do we got? Change Management, The Essentials. I'm looking at my bookcase, Hacking for Agile Change, Agile Change Playbook. Yeah, which I wrote with Jen, yeah. Is that is that it? Just those three I've books? I've got an e-book. Um, <laughs> which e-book, is yes. E-book, Design Thinking Meets Change Management. On That's through my website, which is Lena Ross com.au great and follow um, you on linkedin and follow us on linkedin uh, and also follow the agile change leadership institute on linkedin because that's where we post a lot of stuff on this too yeah yeah, yeah. well there's a lot of places get in touch with lena if you're not already you should be um lena thank you so much for so generously sharing all of that information about the agile mindset and for coming back and being a guest on Customer nice. Cambio. it's been a pleasure And for the guests, I'll be back soon with another episode. Bye.